this is the second of the last three NBCU CEOs to, to leave abruptly. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Monday, April 24th. Today on Media Monday, John Kelly is here to talk about the sudden and shocking departure of Jeff Schell from NBC Universal and what it means for the future of the company. And we also look back on the rise, fall, and ultimate death of BuzzFeed News and whether its demise truly signals the end of the 2010s digital media heyday. We'll discuss all that and more on today's episode of Powers That Beat. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash powers that be, netsuite.com slash powers that be. That's netsuite.com slash powers that be. Happy Monday, everybody. If it's Monday, as always, it's Media Monday with me and John Kelly, the boss man at Puck.News. John, before getting into a lot of media news, I feel like we've had some slow media weeks lately. Uh, This one is busy. There's some breaking news we're going to talk about involving NBC. Obviously, we're going to talk about BuzzFeed. I want to tell you some uh, big media news from the Venice Bureau of Puck, which is Katie, my fiance, soon to be wife, decided today after being on Twitter for 14 years that she was deleting Twitter. And I wrote Mm. down what she said as to why, because I feel like it summed up (laughs) the Twitter experience these days. Quote, this is Katie. I'm deleting my Twitter. The people here are mentally ill. A lot of them are vile. (laughs) I learn nothing. I'm gaining nothing. And the whole platform doesn't even work anymore. End quote. I thought that was a great summary (laughs) of where Twitter's at these days. So that's that's big breaking news over here in in the Hamby household in Venice. I just want to let you know that. Well, a lot of big news in the Hamby House in Venice. We're, we're now clocking at T-minus uh, three <laughs> weeks here and change. Um, but yeah, you, you know, I'm a, I'm a sort of like middling Twitter user, and I was not surprised to find that the chatter on the platform this weekend was all about people who are surprised they still have a blue check and want to get rid of the blue check, or people who, who ended up paying for the blue check, you know, explaining why they pay for the blue check. And I, uh, I agree with Katie Warshaw. I think that uh, <laughs> the, the value to deterioration is extraordinary. I agree. I agree. Hey, we are taping this on Sunday. So this is still a developing story, but I wanted to, to check in with you about it. This is a pretty big bombshell. Uh, Jeff Shell, 
the head of NBC Universal, CEO, has said that he is resigning from the company because of a, quote, inappropriate relationship with a woman in the company. Uh, as of this taping, we don't know what, quote, inappropriate conduct means, consensual, non-consensual, etc. Jeff Shell is married. I don't know Jeff personally, but I actually, you know, via some friends at NBC News and, mm-hmm. so, and some other avenues, have friends of friends who know him pretty well, and we're genuinely shocked by this. Like, known, at least in their telling, met, by the way, men and women, super nice guy, advocate for people, never shady. What's your take on this? Uh, I'm stunned too. I was pulling into a Whole Foods parking lot with my kids when I saw the Dylan Byers siren in the Puck General Slack channel pointing out the press release that he had just gotten. So I was stunned on a number of levels. Uh, First and foremost, obviously, we don't really know what happened here. We don't know if this was something that was brought to the attention of um, the general counsel and the Comcast board and was pretty immediately effectuated. We don't know if there was a internal review was something that was really longitudinal and had Mm -hmm. uh, some nuance and gray area to it. It's impossible to say, although it would certainly be new. But but just in, in order of like the kind of gating issues here, one is that this is the second of the last three NBCU CEOs to to leave abruptly. Jeff Zucker left after Comcast fully consummated the the GE deal. You know, if you remember after the financial crisis, General Electric was forced to to basically, you know, fire sale a number of assets including at first 51% of NBCU, which the Roberts family was was thrilled to gobble up and then they uh, they consummated the deal years later with the other 49% and then Jeff left the company I think in September of 2011-ish, around there. Obviously, Steve Burke had a a long and very effective tenure. And Shell, I think this probably does surprise people who who knew him personally, um, who believe, you know, who believe he's a good guy and I think a straight shooter and someone who's got a very, very busy job. Uh, My second thought was that Obviously, we're very focused here on the future of NBCU and obviously um, how it might fit in with the the broader kind of puzzle emerging in entertainment media. Our partner, Bill Cohan, has hypothesized very openly about the possibility of a union with the Warner Brothers Discovery assets that maybe Brian Roberts would cook up with David Zaslav and, and Jeff Schell would be the odd man out. I believe that's certainly a possibility. It can't really be effectively contemplated until WBD has been in market for two years because of the rules of a reverse Morris Trust. Uh-huh. WBD has been in market for about 12 and a half months. So the, these next 11 and a half months probably can't tick fast enough. And I think that WBD and, and NBCU are, are better dance partners than NBCU and maybe Paramount Plus or Paramount Global, whatever it's called now. The other thing, too, is if you remember, Dylan had a fantastic story from the summertime about a potential deal that Roberts had been cooking up with EA Sports and NBCU. And in that Mm -hmm, deal, mm -hmm. if you remember, Jeff Schell would not have been the remnant CEO of the combination. So I always wonder, you know, after I heard that, I I couldn't get out of my head. Okay, so this guy is um, Roberts, a dealmaker like that is a family of dealmakers and Comcast is a 170 billion ish market cap company, you know, give or take uh, how the market opens Monday morning. It's an acquisitive company. 
And in the next iteration, it seemed like Shell wasn't necessarily going to be a part of it. I'm not saying that they found the edge case here. It sounds like Shell made his own bed. But I imagine that this will expedite the deal making. Shell was never going to be a part of whatever the future uh, of NBCU looks like. This is going to usher in an incredibly complicated period because many in the market believe that these companies are all playing sort of seven minutes in heaven, figuring out who who's going to go home with who. And NBCU is going to have a, a presumably an interim leader who may be forced to manage the transition. And as we saw in the year between when David Zaslov made his bid for the Time Warner assets and when the deal closed to become the combined Warner Brothers Discovery, it became very clear that a lot can happen and a lot of anxiety can run loose when there is an interim chief. And I think that first and foremost, I'm sure the email communication between the leaders of NBC, MSNBC, Universal are all burning up right now because they probably all want a lot of direction. And this is a moment where they're not going to get a whole lot of it. You know, according to the, to the statement from NBC Universal, Michael Kavanaugh uh, will be effectively in charge of NBC Universal. And this guy, he is the CFO of Comcast. Yeah, and this is like a Jerry in succession sort of moment where they're bringing in a responsible yeah. adult to manage yes. the the books and to quell whatever sort of investor concern there is on, gotcha. on Wall Street. Gotcha, so gotcha. Kavanaugh is not going to be the guy. This is a, a normal playbook, and it's a uh, t- to me it reads as obviously a um, a stopgap move. Um, and, and it makes you think, frankly, that the findings must have been significant that they didn't have a backup plan in place. All right, John, when we come back, I want to talk to you about the big, big media news of last week, which is the end of BuzzFeed News. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome back to the Powers That Be. It's Media Monday. Um, John, one reason I actually brought up Katie's statement about Twitter earlier was Almost bouncing off of a tweet that Charlie Warzel of The Atlantic uh, sent out earlier this week. Charlie covers the internet and he used to work at BuzzFeed. And he did a tweet, I think late last week after the news came out, that BuzzFeed News is being shut down. He said, BuzzFeed News shuttering the day Twitter gets rid of the checks is some very real, the long 2010s ended today shit. (laughs) And... (laughs) This is a common take at this point, just a few days after Jonah Peretti announced that while BuzzFeed itself will carry on, BuzzFeed News is closing after about a decade, including a period where they were hiring everybody, kicking a lot of ass, reimagining what news can look like on the internet. They won a Pulitzer Prize in the course of that decade, announced they're shutting down. It does feel like the end of an era. I mean, the 2010s moment with Vice and Vocative and Upworthy and BuzzFeed mm-hmm. and Mike and all of these news organizations 
that were mapped onto Facebook and Twitter, designed to be shared, designed to go viral. That was the hottest thing in the goddamn world <laughs> in like 2014, 2015, 2016. The internet has changed. Business models have changed. It's kind of bittersweet too, because like if you're our age, like you, that was very exciting for a moment. And, and we, I at least, was kind of rooting for that. I was working for CNN at the time and loved the idea of these disruptive, rebellious news organizations who are really trying to program toward consumers in a way that legacy brands weren't. And so, yeah, it's a little sad, but it's also, we all saw this coming. <laughs> and, and by the way, like BuzzFeed, you know, they went public via SPAC. Last year, they're trading for pennies on the dollar at this point. What was your reaction when, when this news came out late last week that BuzzFeed is closing? I had a multi-layered reaction. So let me w work through the stages with you here. Um, <laughs> first is, obviously, this was not a surprise at all. Yeah. I have tremendous respect for the people who built this product. Of course, Ben, and I have a great working relationship with John Steinberg. We worked together for years. He was the first president of BuzzFeed. And to my mind, I think the, the, mm -hmm. the wise voice in the room who advocated selling to Disney for a couple billion dollars when everyone else said no, uh, obviously a deal in retrospect that they should have taken. But this has been in the works for a while. BuzzFeed as a company, and people forget this, BuzzFeed was founded years before BuzzFeed News. It was founded by Jonah Peretti, who'd been the sort of resident MIT Media Lab genius inside of the Huffington Post. He'd been the virality mm -hmm. guy. And mm -hmm. BuzzFeed was his garage baby. You know, I think they started in Chinatown. I think, you know, Ken Lehrer. Kenny Lehrer, baby. <laughs> That's right. He was the major, the major domo of digital media in New York back then. And BuzzFeed, you know, kind of grew from the ashes of that apartment. And it, it took a number of years before. And Jonah was very good at raising money and convincing people that he saw the future of virality, the social web. You mentioned these, these keywords. But basically, it was disintermediated business, meaning they knew the internet was growing. They knew that news consumers were, were younger and that they might not, you know, subscribe to the New York Times or Newsweek or whatever, and that they had new consumer habits. And one way to be taken seriously was to create a news organization. And, you know, they raised hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars through, I think, you know, five or six fundraisers. I'm, I'm kind of alighting time here. And BuzzFeed News was considered the sort of like first millennial news product. But really, it was, it was more than millennial. It was, it was millennial Z-ish at the time because, you know, we're, we're, we guys in our 40s were, were sort of on the frontier of it, but it was also really populated by people who are younger than us. Anyway, what's interesting and people forget in retrospect, and, and this is not any critique on the, on the very smart people who worked on this, but they actually went about building this innovative business in an incredibly old-fashioned way. They hired a ton built, created enormous fixed costs, built bureaus, you know, recreated a number of the challenges of the previous generation, had to mm -hmm. deal with unions, and they were built entirely on a, on a fickle advertising business, you know, and this is to, to Warzel's point, that was disintermediated. They didn't know the end user, which is the whole promise of the internet. They were virally, you know, pushing stories on Facebook and Twitter, and then those companies changed their algorithm, and all of a sudden BuzzFeed was you know, footing an, an enormous bill for an enormous product. And I have to admit here, and again, this is not disrespect, I never found BuzzFeed News in, enormously valuable in my life, or maybe because of my own interests. But I think that the concept of it was massively disruptive. And what we see all these years later, and this really is the powerful sort of eulogy for BuzzFeed News, it obviously um, did not lead to a, a long-lasting standalone business, but it did create value elsewhere. There's a famous quote, where Ted Sarandos, the now the co-CEO of Netflix, said that mm -hmm. um, their goal was to be HBO before HBO could be Netflix. 
and BuzzFeed's goal was to be the New York Times before the New York Times could be BuzzFeed. It turned out actually that the New York Times, the Washington Post, the FT, the Wall Street Journal, even mm-hmm. CNN, they all beat BuzzFeed to the punch. They all, it turns out in news, had the credibility that BuzzFeed just couldn't quite get despite Ben's extraordinary ability to recruit talent. Uh, they did win a Pulitzer. They built through Mark Schuff's and Ariel Kaminer, this great investigative unit. Despite all that, never quite had a foothold in the establishment. And I think part of that was just the DNA of the place. That was It was set up to be a countercultural business. But if you really zoom out further, right, and you, you refer back to the quote that you began this conversation with, the businesses that were built on this philosophy, think about where they've ended up right now. Vox just accepted a financing from Penske Media that cut its value in half. And I'm sure there's an argument that they can spend the next couple of years rebuilding the equity, but but that's a tough pill to swallow. You know, Vice, which I think has a pretty intense and complicated capital structure at this point, was mm-hmm. once valued at five or six billion dollars. And and now I imagine that any consummation sale would, would be significantly less. We see what's happened to BuzzFeed. Not everyone wins. You you mentioned Vocative. There are other Pando Daily, Gawker. I mean, there are a lot of businesses that were built off of scale. The idea that you could get mm-hmm. content, articles, ideas, stories in front of a lot of people. And and the, we were all premised on the idea that CPMs, the fundamental uh, unit of the advertising, of the digital advertising business, would go up. And then I don't think it dawned on Kenny Lehrer and Erica Poe what would happen if it went down. And it went down, and now you have in BuzzFeed a company that had no choice but to do this. BuzzFeed went public via SPAC, you mentioned, a year and change ago. It's got $500 million in annual revenue, and yet its market cap is a hundred and something billion dollars. It's in danger of being delisted. I don't see any other choice here. So yes, I think an, an era uh, has ended. Yeah, and like also, speaking of scale, like their fixed costs were scaling and scaling and scaling, which is like the exact totally. reason they've had these rounds of layoffs. And this this sort of is a pet peeve of mine. I remember like emailing Jim Vandehei about this during some round of like Huffington Post layoffs or BuzzFeed layoffs at some point over the last four or five years. And, you know, you see these journalists saying like dark day for journalism. Like, I can't believe management did this to us, etc. And like, yeah, like the state of the industry is very difficult, especially on the ad-supported front. But it's like BuzzFeed had a reporter, I think, in Hawaii that was laid off at some point, And they're like, <laughs> Beat was covering Hawaii. And you're just yeah. like, why? Like, who's... Right. Who is the who is the audience for that? And it's just like and that's somebody's money too. By the way, don't forget, like some some pensioner is is indirectly supporting that. It's not it's not it's not all funny money. Right. Exactly. You know what? When I was at CNN, I always really, really, really cared about the digital side of things, and CNN empowered me to do fun stuff on the digital front. I modeled my exit from CNN to Snapchat after Ben's move to BuzzFeed. You know, I didn't want to be perceived as like going over to. a platform to do news partnerships like I was actually doing journalism and like that's what I wanted to do and it was really exciting and if you were of my generation and if you were like in your 20s or early 30s and you really saw the internet and the phone as the first screen rather than tv or the print newspaper like you were rooting for them and so you know it's always tough to see things like this happen but it just the platforms moved the models moved and it just it just stopped working and Jonah was pretty upfront about this basically saying that you know I was putting money into this as a reputational thing. I care about news. The last thing I'll say on this too, I actually got an advanced copy of Ben Smith's book, Traffic, mm. uh, which I actually mm. cracked open the other day. Um, it's really good. I rec- uh, So far, I mean, like only like 100 pages in, but 
it, you know, speaking of Ken Lair, it goes into that like early 2000s downtown yeah. Manhattan digital media scene that was very buzzy. Um, our boy Sean Mills will really like this book. Um, you know, I thought the book was just about BuzzFeed, but it's basically about sort of the history of chasing traffic, chasing virality, um, and some of the original sins that are playing out today are like written about in this book. So I definitely recommend Ben's book, so far at least. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll let him know the so far part. The other big, big Ben party uh, <laughs> this Thursday at uh, Umberto's Clam House, which I think is uh, right at Caddy Corner from the semaphore offices you know it's funny you're talking about that book i'm dying to read it i i haven't um hopefully i'll, I'll squire my copy with, with the signature this week but buzzfeed news was in so many ways a leading indicator of where it was going and then it just in the last five years it was an enormous lagging indicator you know ben mm-hmm. left to go to the times then left to start semaphore and there it was still i think if there's one knock on peretti it's that he's an unusual public market ceo he's neither uh salesperson, a traditional MBA, or a kind of creative product person. He's sort of this philosopher king of an internet that doesn't really exist anymore. In fact, it's an internet that's kind of like moving back in time or being reshaped by more mature forces to be a little more analog. You know, when we think about how people shop and buy and where they store their credit card information or how they purchase things, it's much more secure. It's less open, it's less scale. It's more about affinities mm-hmm. and time stops for no man, Peter. They'll be saying this about us one day. <laughs> the, when the when interesting... Katie signs off on Snapchat, so that's, that'll be her uh, reprieve. <laughs> There's an interesting um, rivalry set up in the beginning of Ben's book between Jonah and Nick Denton, sort of like they had different yeah. theories about the internet and traffic. But you mentioned Umberto's Clam House. Jesus Christ, maybe Nick Denton's going to show up and shoot Ben Smith a la Joey Gallo. Uh, on I Thursday really appreciate this, that reference. Party. That was, <laughs> yeah, my, my first thought too was yes, that it is definitely a, um, that and Spark Steakhouse to me are, are two New York restaurants that will forever be identifiable through uh, e- enormous uh, mob murders. But uh, I, I think it'll be more of a, my, my guess would be it's gonna be more of a kind of craft cocktail and, you know, like uh, uh, Williamsburg-y type of vibe. But but I'll be sure to report back by the next time we're on the show. I think that will be one of, maybe that's a, a B-block topic. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, man, have a great week. All right, you too, buddy. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13, and produced by Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck. Puck.